Let me remind you, you have not taken this pandemic seriously since back in March. The only thing you've done is allowed COVID to get behind those walls. It's your job to keep COVID out of there and to keep our loved ones safe. Time and time again, you continue to fail. Your negligence is costing people their lives. Change has to start. It has to start right here, and it has to start right now. Take control over your guards. Tell them that they need to do their job. Roll the tape so that you can see with your own eyes that your employees are refusing to follow the state COVID-19 protocols and the Rhode Island Department of Corrections' own policies. We demand that the guards wear masks at all times, frequent cleaning with proper cleaning supplies, stop searching cells with no masks on, wipe down the phone, follow mandatory quarantine guidelines, stop mistreating people who want to stay safe. Their life matters. They're trying to protect themselves because you have failed to do so. Our voices will not be silenced. Welcome to the Rooted Dialogue, where we explore the intersections of history, power, Jesus, and justice. I am your host, Jeremy Agumba. Unfortunately, for this episode, we will not be joined by my co-host, Erin Corey, but she will join us again next week. But it's February, and I'm a black man living in America. That means when February comes around, I'm going to take every opportunity I can to talk about African-American history and the things in the way of America becoming a more equitable and just place for non-white folks. I wanted to begin our Black History series with a little deep dive into an issue that should be a top concern for those who want to combat racism and racial inequalities. Let's talk about prisons, prisoners, and the prison industrial complex, and its direct connection to plantations, enslaved Africans, and America's capitalistic system, which of course is built on the premise of exploitation. During this episode, we will talk about the history of America and what it does to black and brown bodies with the purpose of making a financial profit from them. We cannot separate racism from America's economic systems that depended and continue to depend on free black labor. This is a system that Michelle Alexander calls the New Jim Crow and what another scholar calls slavery under another name. You see, our American prison systems is a modern day plantation where black and brown bodies are still exerting energy and labor to produce products for America's consumption. And the majority of Americans are blind to it. Or they see it, but because we're talking about, quote-unquote, those people who are, quote-unquote, criminals, we end up turning a blind eye to them and their plight. Criminal justice reform is long overdue. But if we are honest and historically accurate, the criminal justice system and systems of America, since their conceptions, were designed to serve and protect whiteness and its property, and to see blackness as a threat to whiteness. For these reasons, and because I have family members who have been incarcerated and I have been directly impacted by the prison system, I am a member of DEAR, Direct Action for Rights and Equality, where we create and lobby for legislative change around prison reform, affordable housing, 
and a number of other things, but I specifically am on the Behind the Walls Committee, which focuses on all issues concerning those presently and formerly incarcerated. Just last year, we drafted, lobbied, and helped to pass a bill through our Rhode Island legislative process to remove restrictions denying formerly incarcerated individuals from getting a license in a number of professions. After successfully getting that bill passed, we started having conversations and drafting up another bill that we think will help reform our probation system here in Rhode Island. If we can successfully begin to reform the probation system, I believe our recidivism rates will decrease and not as many people will violate probation and have to go back to prison for the smallest of reasons. Here in America, instead of having a judicial system that is about restorative justice, we have a system that is built on retributive justice, a system that focuses on punishing people instead of rehabilitating people. Jesus told his followers to visit and care for the prisoner. So many prophets and leaders in the Bible were at one point incarcerated by those with power. I think Jesus understands that prisoners are also made in the image of God, and I think Jesus understands that even they deserve basic human rights. Jesus said that what you do for the prisoner, you also do for him. Prison reform should be at the top of the list of Christians who are trying to follow Jesus while living in America. Here in Rhode Island, the ACI, which is our adult correctional institutions, has a 90-plus percent COVID-19 positivity rate. The buildings are full of closed doors and closed windows with very poor ventilation systems. COVID guidelines are in place, but they are not being adhered to. The living conditions are anything but clean, and the lack of care for those incarcerated is sad and irresponsible at best. We at DARE have been trying to put pressure on those with power to intervene and care for those at the ACI, like we would care for our elderly and other vulnerable communities during this time. We had a vigil outside of Governor Gina Raimondo's house a few weeks ago for Jeffrey, who was the latest person in the ACI to die of COVID-19. Every Sunday, we drive around the ACI's campus with signs on our cars and honking our horns, trying to send a message to those inside that we are with them, that we care, and that we see them. We also get out of our cars and give those impacted by this injustice an opportunity to voice their concerns into a microphone and to plead with those in power to do something about the conditions in the ACI that need to change. The audio you will hear on this episode is from those moments and those gatherings on behalf of those trapped inside of a COVID-19 bubble called the ACI. Let's first hear from Sheila Wilhelm, one of DARE's founders and also someone who knew Jeffrey. And let's listen to Ms. Sheila as she helps orient us to why we are standing in front of the governor's house. Hey, everybody. First, I just want to say, everybody, thank you, thank you, thank you for coming out today, supporting DARE, supporting our efforts, and then supporting folks on the inside whose voices can't be heard at this time. Um, I heard that some of the remarks that were made first, and I'm not going to go into all statistics because, you know what, we know them. Um, but it's true, right now there's more people incarcerated in this country that were enslaved at the height of slavery in the 1860s. And, it, and you know, we all know it's a disgrace. For anyone who wants to see, the, see numbers, see, see statistics of studies we've done over the years, we've done national studies with groups, you know, talking about the, the cost of incarceration to families, etc. You know, come to DARE, come to Behind the Walls, um, you know, hook up with us, link up with us now during this time of COVID, link up with us and just, you know, see some of the work that we've done in the past. Um, any, any life lost is, is a loved one lost. A father, a son, 
a sister, a, a mother, and it's sad and it's despicable and disgraceful. And, you know, I, I learned from Ms. Bondali years ago um, a statement when she was talking about her husband. And she said, none of us are the worst thing we've ever done, nor are we the best. We're all those things in between. And we all have things that we can remember. You know, I knew I knew Jeffrey when he was a person who used to come and pick up our kids and take them for rides in Roger Williams Park. Uh, you know, he was a father. He was, you know, a family member. And, you know, all lives are life lost and lost to loved ones. And it's just, it's just, a, it's just really, it's very, very, you know, sad and just overwhelming in so, 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 so many ways. But. I, can, I just can't express gratitude enough for everybody who is there today. And I want everybody, but especially to know, guys on the inside and women, I'm sorry, but they know that, they know that they're being supported. They know they're being supported. I've talked to people and, you know, they said, you know, have told me how they knew Dare was at the State House. They knew Dare was at the, you know, at the um, ACI. And they know Dare is not only behind them, but beside them. And that really, really means a lot. And, um, yeah, you know, everybody just be strong, be strong, be solid. And we just got to let, you know, like let these fools know that, you know, Nobody's going away. We're not going away. We're going to keep fighting for our families. Keep loving, keep loving, keep loving our families. And, you know, when you leave there today, let them know. You'll be back. There will be back. We'll be back. Miss Sheila didn't want to get into the numbers, but the reality is that here in America, we have 5% of the world's population and 25% of the world's prisoners. Why is that? One out of four prisoners around the world are here in the United States, and California alone has more folks incarcerated than 15 countries combined. We have to begin to ask the question, why? Now also, while I was there, I had the privilege of talking to another woman who has been directly impacted by this, and who led us in that vigil. She gives us some insights into why our prison systems continue to disproportionately lock up black and brown folks. Let's listen to her. This prison situation is out of hand, mm -hmm. and especially uh, it brings to light right now in the pandemic. People shouldn't be incarcerated like that, you know? And I mean, instead of letting people out, they're finding more people to put in because people are still doing things. Mm. And why should people, men and women, be in prison for fines? Mm. That's one thing. There are people who haven't been to trial yet, and they're still in there, so they haven't been... Um, <laughs> They're not guilty of anything yet until they go to trial. So, um, and we absolutely believe too that this is the new Jim Crow. Yeah. So it went from the plantation to a different kind of plantation and um, making money. And and then you got the situation of even just like the the guards out there. They work double shifts and stuff. And some of them, they have what the um, what they had called the two hundred thousand a year club. So they're making good money. So. It's to some people's advantage for uh, people to be there and continue to be out here, you know, or someplace because, yeah. I mean, the United States has more people incarcerated than, um, than any other country or nation, mm -hmm. you know, in the world. So yeah. how is that possible? Right. That money could be used for something else. Mm. So, yeah, we, we really, I mean, this is, this is crimes against humanity. Mm. That's, that's the main thing, I think, is, yeah. is crimes against I'd humanity. I'd like them to know 
that there are people that care and that um, you are human still. You, you are our people. So we're going to fight all we can. And, and, and for myself, I'm going to go, I'm, I'm going to have to connect with other states to see what they're doing, yeah. you know. And um, we are there for you. So just keep your prayers up. If you if you if you can pray, just pray, and I'm praying too, and we're gonna help you. We're gonna definitely help you. We have to use if we have to use Rhode Island as an example of injustice to turn it to justice. Mm-hmm. So we love you. Right. I I know that our God, our Lord, our Jehovah, our Yahuwah lives off of faith. And the people who have faith are the people that he wants. All those apostles and all the, the um, Elijah and all of them, they all had faith, you know? And he said it'll move, you know, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, it'll move mountains. Mm. So I have to have faith because, yeah. I mean, I don't, uh, my life isn't, for me, I'm not complaining about my life, but I mean, I don't have a, I don't live on the east side. I don't have a beautiful house all decorated and everything, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So I have to have that faith that he's going to take care of me. I have to say every morning, thank you for providing and yeah. protecting. So he's my all. And mm-hmm. that's what I said. We, we're going to continue this mm-hmm. fight, you yeah. know, if I have to be the only one, you know, but we're going to continue yeah. this fight and faith is a big part of it. All people who are so-called Christians or whatever they are, they're still not godly people some Mm, of them you know what i'm saying so Mm. that's the difference right there it's only going to be a few that are really godly if you are if you are doing something as a a faith-based something then you should let people know and you'll have more people because there are other people who want to uh unite with you to accomplish the same goal when our country was formed it was formed as a two-tier caste system with white on top and black on the bottom it was a race-based economic system that was a zero-sum system with those on the top gaining the world at the expense of those on the bottom who worked and labored for the american economy so much so that the american dollar at one point had an image of black enslaved africans picking cotton on it america would not be the superpower that it is today without the exploitation of free african labor the 13th amendment of the united states reads like this quote Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for crime, whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. End quote. This says that slavery has been abolished unless you have been duly convicted of a crime. This was added to the 13th Amendment as a compromise made with the fallen southern states after the Civil War. The southern economy was so dependent on free African labor, without it, it suffered a great deal. And they used this loophole to continue the economic system of slavery, but under a different name. After the passing of the 13th Amendment, the South rushed to create laws, like vagrancy laws, which stated that if you were black, you had to have working papers on you at all times to prove that you worked for a landowner, because only landowners were citizens. But if you were a black body and was not working for a landowner, then you would soon be working for the state. You would have been arrested and your labor contracted out to the highest bidder, usually a large corporation, trying to cut costs and maximize profit. The corporations paid a small price to the state for the labor of their subjects. 
These young men were sent into caves to mine. They were forced to lay down train tracks across the country, along with anything else corporations needed. Many of these young men died within two years, and at that point, they just went and picked up another formerly enslaved person to continue the process. During slavery, the slave owner had an interest in his enslaved person's survival. The longer the slave lived, the more interest the slave owner received. But during this new system, there was no need to keep them alive when they could just replace them at no extra cost to themselves. Much of this post-slavery era felt worse for African Americans than when they were enslaved. The lack of care for inmates is still a problem today because those incarcerated are only seen as criminals. Our state doesn't feel the necessity to care for them and to provide them with the necessary PPE needed to survive a global pandemic. To this day, it is prison labor that makes all the furniture in our federal and state buildings, public schools, and state universities. It is prison labor that makes the aprons and hats for Starbucks and Walmart. If you invest your money with Fidelity Investments and you call their 24-hour service line, there's a good chance that you'll be speaking to an inmate on the other line. But you will never know it. Still, many U.S. corporations use prison labor to save money and create a maximum profit. Let's now listen to a woman as she shares about her boyfriend's experience inside of the ACI. Gina, I need you to hear me and hear my voice. Listen, my loved one matters. My boyfriend is currently incarcerated at the ACI and has his, and as his support, I am here to tell the governor, you, the DOC and the DOH that our voice matters. I'm outraged at how you are treating him and the other men and women incarcerated at the ACI. And I demand you treat them with dignity and respect. The normal living conditions at the ACI are horrible in general. The cold air blows in the winter, the heat blows in the summer. There's bugs, there's mice, there's mold, there's poor ventilation and no ventilation systems at all. The overpopulation of the inmates, the department's lack of organization and, comp and compassion for human life. Now with the COVID-19 cases on the rise and the living conditions are even more horrific, you gave them dirty masks made out of sheets with no way to clean them, no bleach in the building, no cleaning being done. No outside time in over a month, just 23-hour lockdown, no, vi no video visits. Inmates have to choose between a shower and a phone call, mixing positive people with other inmates. The guards are not even wearing masks, and guards are not quarantining properly after positive tests. The DOC is refusing to follow CDC and Rhode Island DOH guidelines as well as their own policies. You're putting my loved one at, at, at an increased risk of becoming infected with this deadly virus. The DOC has proven that they cannot handle this pandemic appropriately. The guards decide that they are above the CDC and lock up the inmates, then go inside their little bubble, eat, smoke their vapors, watch movies, and all with no mask on as these cases rise. My heart is breaking every day, and I'm outraged this goes on under your watch, Gina Raimondo. Gina, we have watched you sweep this issue under the rug. Our voice will no longer fall up under deaf ears. And that's it. The voices of those on the margins fall on deaf ears. Many times people think that they must speak for those on the margins because they don't have a voice, but they do. And it's not their lack of a voice that's the problem, 
Many times, it's the lack of an audience or any ears to hear what it is that they're saying. We think that prisoners are some of the worst people ever, which is not true. Ms. Sheila just got done reminding us that they are not the worst things they've ever done. And when we fail to recognize that these men and women behind bars are also other people's spouses, children, siblings, parents, we tend to care less about them. But they are human, made in the image of God. We cannot forget this. Mercy and compassion are the qualities Jesus told us we need to actually follow him and care for those whose voices fall on deaf ears. Now let's listen to a woman who makes this point and whose fiancé is currently in the ACI. And another gentleman who also has a loved one who's locked up at our adult correctional facility. Hey everyone, this is um, an, an anonymous statement written by somebody whose loved one is inside right now. Um, so a lot of folks have been unable to speak openly about what's happening because there's retaliation against their loved ones inside. So this is Ms. Suzette. She's going to read the statement for this person. This person says, I sit here with a heavy knot in my throat and tears coming down my face because every time I hear my fiancé's voice, I begin to wonder that it is going to be the last time I would hear from him. I always make sure I let him know how much he means to me. This has become my reality. I know him being at the ACI with COVID spreading, he's at risk. His immune system is not strong enough to fight something as dangerous as COVID-19. In 2018, he had two surgeries and he also received radiation because he has a thyroid cancer. He was prescribed a medication he will continue to take for the rest of his life. He is at high risk of recurrence due to his poorly differentiated follicular carcinoma. He requires yearly ultrasonography and, a regular, blood, and regular blood work every six months to monitor his thyroid levels of evidence and recurrence. This was said in the letter written by his doctor. I know most people listening to my story might say, he's just another bad guy off the streets, another criminal. What most people fail to understand is that he is someone's son, he's a father, but most of all, he's my fiance. He acknowledges what he did was wrong, so he is serving as a man should. I never thought his life would be at risk like it is today. To think that it could be a possibility that he could end up in a hospital or even something worse has me in disbelief. I sometimes wonder if I would get to hug him. When he doesn't call, my heart begins to race and my thoughts are all over the place. I don't think that the Rhode Island Department of Corrections Director Patricia Coyne-Fay understands or wants to understand her part in all of this. She has said, the safety of everyone inside our facilities is our top priority. Since the time she has said that, the ACI has seen a, a spike in COVID cases and two people have lost their lives to COVID-19. Inmates are still being held in their cells for 23.5 hours. There is no social distancing. Inmates only have 30 minutes to make a call and shower. Video visits most of the time are canceled. All of this is happening under Director Patricia Coyne-Fagg's watch. She's not only putting inmate, inmates at risk, but also her staff. And they, as they, Governor Gina Raimondo, Director Patricia Coyne-Fagg, get to go home and know their loved ones are safe. We sit up at night praying for our loved ones. We pass our days worried, waiting for their phone call, because that's the time we get to exhale and we are able to relax. 
Those 20 minutes, 20 minute phone calls can mean more to us than you could ever imagine. Governor Gina Raimondo and Director Patricia Quinfay, you keep saying that there's nothing you could do for the release of inmates. There are things that you could do, and that is using your voice. You could speak up. The only reason that you keep saying it's not up to me is because in reality this doesn't really matter to you. I wonder how many of us have to go through a heartbreak before you realize that this is not a joke. I stand here in solidarity for the loved one that was lost. I stand in solidarity for those that are behind maximum security with 85% infection rate. You know, it's a tough thing to get a phone call from your loved one saying he's scared to die. You know, he cried last night on the phone with me along with my, my mother that is very ill. Intake center, also the maximum security. Maximum security got over 85 percent. COVID-19 epidemic is, is widespread in the maximum security. Not only that, it's widespread at the intake because they're not giving them clean, clean masks. You know, they're, they're weeks on weeks with the same mask that they came in with and it's made out of like cloth yeah that's not gonna help any individuals not catch it mm. and then they're putting people that are, have been through the quarantine with people that are infected so you're widely spreading it you're not thinking of the wide epidemic of what is really happening mm. you know oh, yeah. Pe yeah. people people are dying yeah. and they don't take it serious mm. you know you know I they they look at it like like the criminals, our people don't matter. Mm. They're just a criminal. That's how they say. They're just a, just a, just another number. That's all they say. Wow. You know. And uh, we're tired of the. Oh, we're gonna do this. We're gonna do that. We need action. Yeah. Not lip profession. Mm. You know, it's good to lip service, but let's do some action. Yeah. If if you were to talk to Gina right now, what would you tell her? What could she do to help? Well. I would sit down and talk to her myself and tell her that need we need our loved ones to be secure, that they will not get the coronavirus. And, you know, separate those that have been through the quarantine for 14 days in, in solitary confinement, you know, because that's what they do. They put you in, in, a, in a unit that you're, you're confined in, 23 hours is and you're lucky if you get an hour to take a shower, mm. you know? Yeah. It's inhumane. That's, 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 our, that's our gripe with mm. Gina, yeah. you know? Do, do something. Mm. You, you did something when the prison guard, you came to his funeral, you know? Mm. So we do have loved ones that are suffering. Yeah. Why, why, why do you think they care about the prison guards but not the prisoners? Because they lack the respect for a prison. They figured... They committed a crime. Mm. They're criminals. Mm. They don't deserve that. So because they're criminals, they're not humane enough to even get exactly. out compassion. Exactly. No compassion, no empathy, no sympathy mm. at all. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Mm. I'm born again Christian. I, I believe in Jesus Christ. Mm. I know what God can do. Black lives matter. 
The history of America has said for the past 400 years that black lives don't matter. Whether it was slavery, whether it was sharecropping, whether it was Jim Crow laws, whether it was lynching, whether it was segregated schools, or even the prison industrial conflicts that we're talking about today. America has constantly told black people that their lives don't matter. And the reality is that their lives do matter. And so this whole conversation that we're having about the prison industrial complex is another way in which America tells black and brown people that their lives do not matter. And I'm hoping that by some of our actions and legislation and visiting prisoners, that we are letting them know that no, that is not true. Do not listen to the lies of our culture and our society, but know that because God created you in his image, that your life matters. And when I was at the vigil, it was young medical students who stood in the road holding signs, telling our governor that folks who are dying in the ACI, catching COVID, their lives matter. I was so inspired afterwards, I ended up having a conversation with a medical physician who was there as we reflected back on what just happened and what these medical students were doing and what they were saying. Let's take a listen. I'm a family medicine physician, um, and I have patients who have come out of ACI, and I hear their stories, and it is, it's haunted me because of how, how unreal the conditions are there. And then when I saw that over 90%, almost 100% of the inmates in maximum security were COVID positive, that's, that's on a different level of negligence. And we have a lot of privilege, you know, in the positions we hold in our careers and things like that in our status in society. And we have to use that to speak up for for these voices that are just being completely ignored and their lives are being put at risk. Like, you know, even if they are um, in prison, they were never sentenced to death, Mm. not death by COVID, you know, and this is what's happening. And there seems to be no lack of ur- there's no urgency in how the government has responded how governor um, romando has responded so it's it's appalling to me and that's why i chose to come here today it, it's this is a, a population that no one like that doesn't have a natural advocates you know mm-hmm. they're they don't have the power access to power to make you know politicians listen and so they're easy to kind of abuse or take for granted um and be easily kind of devalue their lives Mm. And I think that's probably some of the root causes of why this happens. Thank you. Um, Can you just give um, some, I know, some insight into, we saw some, I think, medical students who got arrested today. Um, What's what's the meaning behind that? Why why do you think that's such a a powerful statement? I think the the medical community is um, complicit in many of these things going on as far as long as we stay silent. Mm. And we need to make a statement that we that not all of us are on board with what's going on and we are going to fight for people who we have given an oath to take care of and protect, mm-hmm. um, whether they're inside the walls or outside the walls. And I think that's why the statement can be powerful that medical students are future generations of doctors mm-hmm. are, are understanding that all of this affects people's health. And this is as much as part of our responsibility to kind of care for and advocate for. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Is there anything else you want to say to those who may be incarcerated or to Gina or to anybody? Well, I mean, I, I, I know the organizations like D.A.R.E. and Behind the Walls are doing some amazing work to show support and love for the, for the um, prisoners already. And I think I just want 
all the politicians, whether the Gina, you know, the state legislators, to, to know that there is an urgency to this crisis and that they must do more. They were not sentenced to die by COVID. They were not sentenced to die by COVID. Regardless of what they did, they were not sentenced to die by COVID. But once we dehumanize people, we make it easy to then exploit them and care less about their lives and their well-being. I hope we can see that those who are incarcerated are humans with families and loved ones and issues just like us all. Let's try to be about rehabilitating folks and helping with the healing process instead of just locking people up. Now, if you was with us last week, then you heard our interview with Senator Mack. And she was also at the vigil when I was there and I ran into her. And she had a lot to say about just her own story and you know, what all of this has meant um, for her and how she was impacted by the prison system as well. And so let's hear from our very own Senator Mack. I'm an activist that's um, been in the city for a while, been working on reproductive justice issues. And I ran against someone who didn't represent the values that I held or values that were represented in the community that I was seeing on the ground. And so in 2019, I decided to run, continued that race throughout the global pandemic. Um, and I'm out here at the vigil, um, one, because this morning I got a call from someone in the ACI who I've been having frequent phone calls with about criminal justice reform. Um, but this is an issue that's like near to dear to me um, as a low income person who had uncles who were growing up in the 80s, 90s and have been in and out of prison systems and seen how it's impacted my family. Yeah. Um, and also knowing that prisons are unjust places to begin with mm -hmm. and anything I can do as a new coming senator to make that change um, yeah. and change people's thinkings about the system and the carceral system and the criminal justice system as a whole. This is a vigil for the lives that have been lost at the ACI, which is the adult correctional facility in Rhode Island, um, where there are incarcerated inmates um, who are experiencing uh, full force the effects of COVID-19 inside that facility. And there are plenty of things that we can be doing to make sure that we are preventing as many deaths as possible. Um, but we are not doing that on the state level, knowing that we're in a global pandemic. Um, so we are out here in front of the governor's house to make sure that she knows um, that we are watching and that we care for our mm. folks who are experiencing incarceration and their lives also matter. Yeah, awesome. Thank you so much for that. Yeah. Um, if, if you were to say anything to folks who are listening, ways that they can get involved, things that they can do um, to help this cause, what would that be? Yeah, join one of the awesome orgs that is a part of this. There is Formia Incarcerated Union, Black and Pink, Open Doors, uh, I'm going to miss them. Um, behind the walls program with the dare and a few other awesome organizations and you can look up their information join them get on their email list come out to one of their direct action events follow their um text messages uh join their email list and any way that you can do direct service because once you see the people and see the work uh you'll be motivated to keep on going you heard senator mack let's get involved Let's speak up for those whose voices are not heard or listened to. If you have been directly impacted by inequalities in our prison system, then join one of these orgs today. Let your voice be heard. Write a letter to your congressman or woman. And together, we can help make Rhode Island and our country a better, more equitable, and more just place to live. This is Black History Month. And here in America, after enslaved Africans were stripped of their culture and freedom and dragged across the Atlantic, our story started with an economic caste system based on race. And that system has evolved and is now this massive system still exploiting black and brown bodies. 
We cannot talk about black history without connecting it to the ways in which that history is still present and still with us. And the need for liberation and our quest for an inevitable freedom at the end of that moral arc that bends towards justice. Now, I want to leave you with a quote from Brian Stevenson, who is the director of the Equal Justice Initiative and the founder of the Legacy Museum and the National Memorial for Peace and Justice in Alabama. He wrote a great book called Just Mercy and has spent the last couple of decades as a lawyer defending prisoners on death row. He says this, quote, Proximity has taught me some basic and humbling truths, including this vital lesson. Each of us is more than the worst thing we've ever done. My work with the poor and the incarcerated has persuaded me that the opposite of poverty is not wealth. The opposite of poverty is justice. Finally, I've come to believe that the true measure of our commitment to justice, the character of our society, our commitment to the rule of law, fairness, and equality cannot be measured by how we treat the rich, the powerful, the privileged, and the respected among us. The true measure of our character is how we treat the poor, the disfavored, the accused, the incarcerated, and the condemned. End quote. Thank you for listening. Spread the word. Care for and support those incarcerated. If you want to get involved with DARE, reach out to us here at The Rooted Dialogue at therooteddialogue at gmail.com. But for now, I leave you with the words of one of the organizers from the vigil. Until next time, I'm Jeremy Ogumba signing off from The Rooted Dialogue. You know, when we come together, we have people power, and with people power, we have political power. Mm. And it takes folks like us to be able to show, you know, what it means to come together as a community. Yeah. Because if not us, then who? Mm. And if not now, then when? Anything else would you like to say to Gina or to those incarcerated, if they're listening at all? Um, your life matters, mm. and your life always mattered, and you're not alone, and we... We stand with you, we hear you, and we will fight for you for as long as we possibly can. The Rooted Dialogue is hosted by Jeremy Ogumba and Aaron Corey. Production by Alex James for House Keys Productions. Our intro and outro music is by Taki Brano. Please check him out on Instagram at T-A-K-I-B-R-A-N-O. The Rooted Dialogue is also brought to you with support by our friends at DARE, Direct Action for Rights and Equality, who have been organizing in Rhode Island for racial, economic, and gender justice since 1986. You can listen to our show on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you subscribe to podcasts. Like it, share it with a friend, and keep the dialogue going. Thanks for listening, and God bless.